the subject for the evening talk is what is this emptiness? Um, yesterday uh, evening I went as I do on my regular visits here to uh, the East Coast to CIMC, the Cambridge Insight Meditation Centre and in the course of the visit there had the delight of uh, some tea with uh, Larry Rosenberg at a nearby restaurant, some of you who live in Cambridge area and will know, called the SNS. And we got uh, uh, talking and talking as we are prone to do. And at 7.25, five minutes before I was due to give the uh, uh, talk, we arrived back at the centre and I uh, said to uh, uh, Larry, you know what I'm talking about uh, this evening? And then he said, well, we'll just go and check on the, on the notice board. <laughs> <laughs> but um, unfortunately, the old program had gone. So we asked a couple of people uh, loitering around and they had just arrived and uh, didn't know either. So I had the ignominious uh, opportunity to uh, go into the hall uh, downstairs, uh, the meditation hall, to give the evening talk. And then I had to ask them what I was <laughs> due to be talking about. And... Um, Apparently, it was rather an odd title. I can't think how I dreamt it up. Um, it was um, something like Stress the Proof of Emptiness or something like that. <laughs> anyway, they stayed to listen. So, <laughs> so um, in, in the talk with you this evening, I would like to explore uh, uh, this uh, with, uh, with you. And... Um, just c coming to the immediacy of things for uh, a moment or two, um, many ways, in rather simple and direct way, w uh, you and I can speak about what life is and our uh, event and relationship to it. And a rather uh, simple way is uh, life is that event in which events come to us and affect us, and life is what comes from the uh, inner and affects the outer. And this mutual uh, interactivity, for better or worse, is what gives shape uh, to our life, the meeting of the outer with the inner and the uh, inner with the outer. And of course, in that, each and every one of us faces a tremendous challenge in our day-to-day -day life to meet the inner and the outer with uh, wisdom in life to live life wisely. When the life is coming from the outer to the inner, some of it, of course, is expected, it is anticipated, and therefore, at times in life, we do have some you know, preparation for what comes uh, uh, to us. And we know and are familiar with this through our regularity, through our particular uh, routines. And the, the mind can live in its uh, rhythms, in its habits, and in its uh, 
uh, routines. But if we identify with these habits and routines, then it's weakening day by day our readiness and our preparation, in fact, for the unexpected. So teachings do give us a tremendous uh, reminder and encouragement that yes, routines and habits and cycles can be quite appropriate, but never to anticipate that by the pursuance of them and the continuity of them, that they won't be broken very quickly, very unexpectedly, through all manner of unanticipated circumstances from around us. And then if we rely on the habit, on the routine, and we believe in its perpetuation, in its continuity, and it's suddenly cut off from us through all manner of reasons, the inner life is ill-prepared to deal with it. And then that habit or that conditioning or uh, that period in time collapses within. And in its collapse uh, within, of course, it's what brings psychological pain, emotional pain. And we have to deal with it and uh, find ways to recover uh, from it. So again, that factor of awareness is so vital in the movement of and familiar things of our everyday life and the way that the teachings give the reminder is through care and awareness to change, to impermanence, to arising and passing and really bringing that in quite purposefully into our day-to-day -day life with anything and obviously and equally with anyone. And therefore we really live with a respect to life that we do not take anything nor anyone for granted. And, and that's one of the benefits of uh, perceptions and meditations and practices and reflections on change, on impermanence, uh, on, on coming and, and going. And it keeps the heart steady and clear with regard to these things. So as I say, from the inner to the outer, change may take uh, place and therefore um, uh, uh, habits and routines are something which we can acknowledge, appreciate, but not for dependency upon because of the unexpected. Similarly, from the, what comes from the outer uh, to the uh, uh, inner um, in, in life, again, the, this may also come as well in a very unexpected, unanticipated way. And so sometimes our life can seem to be at regular intervals, in fact, kind of tremendously shaken up by circumstances. And, and it might be such that we can't even explain why these things happen to us and especially keep happening to us in, in various ways. So we're kind of moving along in life and then some event takes place and the whole inner life is shaken up by that. Sometimes the physical life, uh, the health, uh, life, we have to go through a period of some recovery from it and then we enter back into the world again of what we do and our uh, activities. And all of this, not easy of course, it's finding ways and means to apply wisdom to all of this. How can we treat the expected and the unexpected wisely? Really a significant and crunch question.
in all of this, one gets exposure to teachings and practices, and sometimes we begin to hear language and concepts which seem very far removed from where we are. And the kind of mode of our thinking might be, well, I'm trying to live my life as best and as well and as clearly as I can. And then in comes this a whole language of words which seem to be very unfamiliar to me and I don't seem to be able to uh, relate to very, very well. And there's one person yesterday was asking yesterday evening with regard to uh, emptiness. Uh, the, per the person said, oh, sometimes, maybe paraphrasing correctly or not, but um, sometimes I have this feeling um, in myself that things are kind of sliding through my fingers and that uh, and sometimes I, I feel the emptiness of things, uh, etc. And some get the idea get the view or the opinion, oh, this is a, a taste of, uh, of emptiness there. Uh, it might well be, I'm not saying in this particular person's case, but it might well be that what's happening is that there is a feeling of things just passing, things just running through the fingers, uh, so to speak, but it's somewhat coloured with uh, a rather uh, unpleasant or negative feeling. And and with a view and attitude which can then accompany it. And the view and attitude which might accompany it might be, oh well, everything is em empty, everything is passing, everything is insubstantial, um, nothing is uh, going to last or whatever. And it has a slight message, or sometimes even a strong one, uh, in, in us that it, there's something negative about it all. Um, in that, we then look to ourselves and say, well, when, for those who may be hearing it for the first time, uh, and for others of you who are exposed to the Dharma teachings for some time, when one hears language or concepts of emptiness, the important initial thing is, what's the immediate response that comes into it? What's the immediate feeling which arises when hearing this way of uh, uh, language and seeing. And in the actual uh, uh, listening, one has to remember in relationship to this, that the teachings of emptiness have been the very essential, hardcore teachings that have taken place for two and a half thousand uh, uh, years or more. A uh, major theme in the Buddha's uh, teachings, followed up especially through uh, 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 Nagarjuna and uh, other great uh, Dharma uh, teachers. And, and one might imagine and can uh, understand many east and west, north and south, first hearing about the Dharma of uh, emptiness, think, what on earth is that? What's all that about? And it can seem totally unrelated to a life which is overfull already, too much going on, with too many things in it, too many issues, and then one hears this language of uh, emptiness and it can appear and seem very nihilistic, um, very unworldly, and very distant 
from uh, everything that one knows in terms of living in an apparently very substantial world. Nevertheless, despite all the concerns and reservations, if not reactions of the mind, still teachings of emptiness matter. They are the hub in the wheel of the Dharma. Hub in the very wheel of the Dharma. So we say, ah, oh, emptiness, I don't know what the hell's he talking about. I've got to come bear any thought of it. And I can't see any relationship to it. I don't have any experience of it. It's totally out of my uh, 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 field. And all I know is what is in front of me. And some of it I like, and some of it I don't like. And that's just about where I am at this point in my life. And, uh, and of course, sometimes on retreat, it's much more of, more of what one doesn't like than what one likes. Although some do tell me that uh, primary reason to come to places like IMS is for the events at 7 a.m., 12.30 p.m. and 5.30. Um, and maybe a little bit of humour occasionally. So, one looks at the world and its manifestation from the inner to the outer, and in the world from the inner to the outer, uh, likes and dislikes predominate. Sometimes there is the intensification of all of that and a tremendous reality is built up about and around and into what we like and what we don't like. Reflect on it a moment or two. We build up a tremendous reality around something which gets invested, which is a polite word for infected, with... Uh, feelings, views, opinions, ideas, memories, images, uh, etc. And it builds something into something. And it gives it an extraordinary sense of thingness, issueness, reality of my life, this living in the real world. And all of that kind of itness that is going on in my life. And likes and dislikes, wantings and rejections are a formidable feature of that. Either as a result of what comes to us and our relationship to it. Therefore, in this world of things and itness and issues and substance and so forth that goes on, we sometimes, this is important, we see ourselves an effect of what has happened to us from outside. We see ourselves as an effect of what has happened to us from outside of ourselves, either in the past or in the present. And we believe strongly in that at times. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, I'm just saying common understanding, common belief. Or, we see ourselves as the cause. I started this, I began this, and this is the outcome of it, and this is the effect. And we can believe equally as strongly in the true reality 
of that. So our way of being in the world becomes a way of being in the world in which belief is primary and uh, a primary feature in it, based on how we perceive, based on our likes and the dislikes, and therefore sometimes we say, this has happened and the effect of it, and I am the effect of this. This happened to me from circumstances in my past or in my uh, present, and as a result, this is how I am, this is who I am, this is what's happened to me. And we can switch it round, which we do regularly, and we say, I am the cause for what has happened. Pleasurable, painful, for oneself or others. And our view that we live in the true reality comes about through some extraordinary inherent belief that life is nothing but cause and effect going favourably or unfavourably and we would like to tot up our life we'd like to pass through our life and say when I weigh things up in terms of what has happened to me and what I have caused to happen when we weigh things up, we like to have a general overview that all in all, the odds, the way they stacked up, is that it proved more comfortable than uncomfortable. That all in all, the pleasant feature and the successes of life outweighed the failures. That there was more praise than blame, more profit than loss, more health than sickness. And then we've had a good life. And this world of cause and effect then gives shape to success and failure, praise and blame, profit and loss, pleasure and pain, health and sickness, and that becomes our true reality. And Dharma teachings come along and say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this cause and effect? I am the effect of this? And all that may come out of it, beneficial or painful, I am the cause of all this that I did all this to myself, beneficial or painful. And one just allows perhaps a little murmuring of maybe it's the view which I've got used to, which I've entered into a social agreement about with lots of other people. Because whenever we talk, what are we talking about? For the most part, cause and effect. What happened to others? Causes. And the consequences, the effect. So we've all entered into this extraordinary social conspiracy that our world is only cause and effect. And then we pick out a few random things, we say that's the cause for that, 
that's the effect of that, and we pick out a few things and say, ah, oh, that's the effect, and that, that, that's the cause, and we love it, sometimes. And we hate it at other times. Well, that's a little whisper of emptiness, if ever. So we say, ah, but still, all right, I live like that, profit and loss, success and failure, getting what I want, not getting what I want, me doing things, things being done to me, uh, etc. Is it that... That's it. Is it that I have no experience, no sense, no knowing of emptiness whatsoever? That it's something totally out, out there, which these Buddhists dreamt up in their full lotus position in some jungle monastery. <laughs> and now they're trying to tell me it's having some relevance in, in the office. <laughs> Maybe the relationship to things of everyday life and uh, emptiness. Maybe, in a way, it's not so, as it were, far removed as we have come to think, or come to believe, or come to assume. And, and one can take, I think, in a fairly helpful, hopefully, and a valid way, the sequence of uh, uh, events uh, here, that on the... Uh, first day, or second day, or, or, or third day, various things are, are, are um, um, arising. Arising, why? Because the conditions are there for them to arise. We may view it as uh, an effect of the past, we may view what arises as a cause for events in the future, we may view it as something working itself out, we may view it as who I am, all these kind of views keep coming up with what's arising. As I say, can we see it as an effect? We can see it as a cause. We can see it as a process. We can see, see it as stuff working itself out. We can see it as self, as who I am, or whatever. So, which view is one going to take as the authentic one? Who's going to be so bold as to say it's only an effect or it's only a cause or it's only a movement or it's only a problem or it's only myself? And sometimes in the very same event that's going on in the very same sitting or walking sometimes each of these views arise. And in the moment that it arises, we believe it. And we believe it with some degree of... We honestly believe it. And I honestly believe I am like this right now because of what was going on before. I'm like this um, uh, right now and it's definitely going to be the spark for something else later on in my life. I'm, I'm like this right now because 
it's my stuff that's coming up. I'm like this right now because of, of, of that cold look she or he gave to me earlier in the day. <laughs> so the mind has its, is persuaded in its viewpoint of the position that it takes in the moment only to find, perhaps, five minutes later, ten minutes later, the viewpoint has completely shifted and one has conveniently forgotten that ten minutes before one had a completely different view of the situation. Isn't that another whisper of emptiness? How can I be so convinced of my view? And then, extraordinarily, I can have equal conviction five or ten minutes later. Where am I going to rely? And sometimes in the negation of one view and the adoption of another and negation of that and adoption of another, one in a way is saying, God, that previous view, well, that was, I just see the emptiness of it. Then it changes, I see the emptiness again. So nothing seems to be get affirmed in any kind of ultimate position. Sometimes this is very unsettling. One starts scratching one's head. I can't rely on a position. I can't rely on a view because no matter how keen I am about it, I might switch and change my mind uh, later on. Where can I rely? Not easy to unpack the mind and not have any quick uh, substitute for it. Sometimes the understanding of the emptiness of something in a way matures in the field of time. One is going through something which is really caught one's, really knows one's caught on it. There's unsatisfactoriness there, there's some anguish, there's frustration, there's disappointment, there's agitation, there's, there's blame, there's building up, there's putting down, and one's quite caught up, caught up in it. It can be over you know, some apparently larger issue of life or a smaller issue or whatever. Really know we're caught up in it. And we're having a some dialogue with some other person or in entering into one of those uh, monologues you know or extends itself to a trialogue or a, you know or, or whatever and I said this and then he said that and then she'll say this and then I'll say that and then all, all this going on there and sometimes it manifests itself outwardly at the end of the retreat when one arrives home and knocks on the front door One's had more insights into one's partner in, than into oneself during the retreat. <laughs> it's all of this going on inside of oneself during the hours and the time of the days. And then some space and time goes by. And one finds oneself quite naturally looking back over. And hopefully that gap, that space, that time gap is brief. And one looks back over that situation 
and one sees the emptiness of it. The hopelessness of it, the uselessness of it, the purposelessness of it, the uh, irrelevance of it, or, or whatever. And just know that in those moments, in that time, there's just a lot of hoo-ha going on in the mind about something or, or uh, other, which one would never share in an interview. And one is grateful that these wretched scientists haven't come up with a a, a video machine for the mind because it would be much too embarrassing. And so one's just had this self and its story and its fantasy and its daydream and its uh, issue or, or whatever and the self-elevation that's gone on with it or the self-put-down, whichever the tendencies are all much the same, basically. And then a little bit of time, a little bit of space and one just sees the emptiness of it. How could the mind get into this life? That appreciation and acknowledgement of the uh, emptiness is the kind of whisper of the great shout of emptiness. But why is it that it seems sometimes, it sometimes takes hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, damn it, lifetimes before one actually sees through a show which has no true uh, essence to it. Why can't it be? What stops that seeing right now? And sometimes that does, of course arise, and it does occur. And no matter what it is, even in matters of health, in matters of uh, emotional life, no matter how strong it might be, or matters of intensity of thinking which is, takes place, sometimes one knows not from where, but as it were, somewhere from deep within, there can be a voice which comes and knows the emptiness of it. It's not worth making a huge drama and a huge fuss about or whatever. And the expression of it, the manifestation of it, the communication of it, may just put into perspective something. In something. I'm sure some of you have, whatever, had an argument with somebody and, and it's got all rather uh, intense and, uh, and uh, dramatic. And the words are flying back and forwards like cruise missiles. And in the midst of all, all, all of this, that's the flak that's going backwards and forwards. There's something inside which knows the irrelevance of it. Irrelevance of fighting and arguing one's uh, uh, corner and trying, as um, one of these pathetic boxers did, bite the ear off the other person. <laughs> Metaphorically, we hope, but sometimes not so apparently. And right in the thick of all this doom and gloom and uh, intensity, 
in the depth of one's being, something kind of can come through. This is just absurd. <laughs> this is so hopeless, it's so pointless, it's so irrelevant, it's, it, it, what on earth is going on here? It's a reminder, it's a communication from the very depth of the being, of the emptiness of it. But we are so easily in life, we forget to listen to it. And why? Because we get so identified with the activity, which is what? What is coming to us, and what we're putting out. And we get lost in it. Lost in it. And teachings say, we don't have to get lost in it. And the authentic uh, sense of uh, emptiness, the authentic one, the valid one, is that it carries, it communicates, it establishes, it reveals a genuinely liberating sense about it. It's, it's not a kind of, as I said earlier, a kind of subtle, kind of negative worldview, a kind of annihilationist of worldview, a, a kind of put-down of life or whatever. It's a way of... of uh, language in this case, but pointing, of course, to experience, which is genuinely liberating. And sees the emptiness of greed, the emptiness of anger, the emptiness of lying, the emptiness of deceptions, the emptiness of delusion, the emptiness of boosting up one's ego, the emptiness of putting other people down. And there's something genuinely liberating and freeing about it. So therefore, as I say, sometimes there seems to be this gap between what's going on, the dependent arising circumstances and our relationship to it, and the understanding of it which is uh, uh, freeing in such a way that you and I don't feel overwhelmed by the outflows of life or the inflows of life. We don't, genuinely don't feel overwhelmed by the outflows from life to us, so to speak, and the inflows of life. Teachings keep pointing to this uh, wonderful and uh, extraordinary potential and possibility for us. In teachings of... Uh, of um, uh, em emptiness. <clears throat> um, in the inquiry today, in uh, one of the uh, periods, there was uh, some uh, uh, exploration taking place uh, and using other language, freedom, uh, non-duality, uh, etc. And the consistent pointing to, as I mentioned earlier, is a pointing to which helps one to put one's life, this is important here, in a context and in a relationship with everything else since it coexists, it manifests with everything else. And one of the things that we do again and again 
extraordinary cost is, as it were, we take our life, so to speak, we take our life and we separate it from all else. We create a kind of picture of my life. We create a storyline around my life. We create an idea, we manufacture them about who I am and what my life is. And it gets separated in the pattern of doing this from all else. And one of the common ways that we do that is in the language of roles. One thinks of situations in life where we give so much substance is in the area, touched upon today in the inquiry, in the area of roles. And we think I, whoever the I is, has a role. That this is my role. Or this is what I would like my role to be. And one can't see it in genuinely tangible terms. It's a picture. It's an image. It's a description. It's a formation. It's an idea. It's a belief. But in it, it becomes separate from all else. And in its separation, there comes the gap. And in the gap, anything can come. I identify with my role as a as a, a, a teacher, as an example. And I start holding to that role, and I cling to that role, and I protect that role, and I identify that role, and I think that's really who I am. I am a, and put on it, Dharma teacher, or, or whatever. What happens when, I, when myself and the role all get shrink together around each other? What's going to happen? There has to be a gap. There's going to be a gap between teacher and student, for a start. There's going to be a gap between those who accept what I say and those who don't. There's going to be a gap in which I'll have to want approval because I'm a teacher. I teach. And you are the taught. Therefore, I, 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 me, 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 no more than poor you, you, you. That's why I, I, I am sitting here and you, you, down there. <laughs> and I don't know why you are sitting on that here at all. <laughs> so all of this forms, isn't it? It all comes with this, the I and role and self, building itself up together and generating a gap. But the gap is from what? The so-called personal perspective. It's from the self, from the I, from the me. But would someone walking into the hall who had never been in any kind of formation called like a class in their entire life, who had never been anything remotely similar 
to this in their entire life? Would that person say, oh, there is a teacher and there is a, a, a student. There is a guru and there is a disciple. There is a gap. Of course they wouldn't. What would they see? They would see people. They would see interconnectedness. They would see um, uh, unity. But they wouldn't see the gap. Because they have no reference for it. Even the role is the living proof of emptiness. Even the role. And therefore, it cannot be found. So in pointing in, uh, to an understanding of uh, emptiness, wherever it, it might be, that something deep and profound about interrelationship, interconnectedness, dependent arising, needs to be clear with us as the kind of ground of our being. And therefore, we see through the stories, the pictures, the isolations, the self that it generates. I said, can I be so steady and clear in that that I'm not interested in living totally identified with a view which is called cause and effect. I'm not saying in this here and now it's the effect of the past. I'm not going to bring the mind in with that view and I'm not bringing in to the here and now, a view, the present moment, the here and now, is a cause for the future. I'm not going to bring in the view. I'm not going to fix things in that way, no matter how much my intellect tells me it's obvious. I'm not going to have a conclusion. I'm going to let my entire mental faculty rest. To give it a rest. To let it rest. Let the brain cells rest. Let the whole being rest without form of it, forming a view about what this is. Maybe there's a potential for a genuinely liberating discovery. The teachings have said maybe there's a potential for an understanding of the emptiness which makes all of this possible. Every view and every non-view. Every position and every non-position. Every cause and every non-cause. Every effect and every non-effect. It makes it all extraordinarily, magically, mysteriously, awesomely possible. If you and I in our meditations are just willing, just for a moment or two, let the brain cells come quiet. Not just leap into cause and effect thinking. Let the whole mind come quiet. Perhaps, perhaps therein there's an opportunity for a genuinely enlightened understanding. And we no longer 
feel, not think. We no longer feel to be what? Prisoners of cause and effect. We have tasted of something which is not of that, which is authentic. May all beings live with awareness. May all beings see into the nature of things. May one's life be filled with liberating discoveries. Let's have our couple of quiet minutes together, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.